a second kind of perspective out of this portion that I started to share last week. And last week I, I spoke about Christian kindness, that we can make a difference to the world by being those that share kindness with each other and what that looked like. And so I'm going to speak about holding a grudge today and not that we don't hold grudges with each other. And then I've got one message on prayer and one message on giving. And I want to say, I'm not trying to preach at anybody, all right? I prepare what I feel like God says I should give, and I prepared these messages weeks and weeks ago. So I'm not, I'm not trying to point a finger at anyone, all right? I'm just saying, as Christians, we need to learn to show kindness to each other. And the other aspect of that is that we deal with anger and we don't hold grudges with people, all right? And so that's what I'm going to look at this morning, is that... The devil really does want you to get hold grudge, to hold grudges in your life because it's a foothold that he can exploit which can lead to a whole lot of other stuff in our lives. And so I want to read this portion again with you, Ephesians 4.22, which simply says, Put off your old nature which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new nature created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, put away falsehood. Let every one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So that's the portion that we started to look at last week. And I looked at one aspect of that, which is Christian kindness. And today I'm going to look at this thing of not holding grudges with each other. And I've been, I've been thinking about this, uh, meditating on this in my own life. Have you ever thought that God is an emotionally complex being? <laughs> Have you ever thought about that? God is incredibly complex. And He has an incredibly complex emotional life, the way that God is by His nature. Um, for example, if I can illustrate it like this, Exodus 34, 6 says that God is slow to anger. Psalm 109, uh, 103 verse 9 says that God will not always chide. He will not always keep His anger forever. And at the same time, Psalm 7 verse 11 says that God is a righteous judge who has indignation or anger every single day. In other words, God is complex and at the same time in his being he holds these things all together his anger is, is rising against sin and towards some his anger is towards sin and in other in other ways his anger is decreasing towards others and he has this sustained thing that he, he in his in his being he holds all of these things together at the same time He's an, cons, consistently angry towards sin, and yet His peace is, to, is, is, is available to us, and His love is available to us at the same time. It's an amazing thing. And so He feels all of these things simultaneously. John Piper, commenting on one of the Psalms, says this, The hurricane of God's wrath against faithless men will never beat itself out on the beaches of eternity. He carries on and he says this, the hurricane of God's wrath is somehow swallowed up in the great calm of His divine mind, like the firing of cosmic pistons while the engine idles smoothly and quietly, or like the churning of massive generators far inside a dam sustained by a great reservoir of deep, calm water. We can only grope for flashes and images of the rising, falling, perpetual wrath of God 
and his heart is infinitely complex. And why do I say all of this? Because I want to say we shouldn't be surprised that we too are complex beings. We shouldn't be surprised that we too feel a whole lot of things all at the same time. When I was preaching yesterday at the, at the, at the wedding, I said this to Tim and Becky, at the same times our, our hearts can believe in who God is, and yet at the same time we can feel that He's not with us. We know something's in our heads, but sometimes our hearts don't feel those things that we know are true. Have you ever experienced that? And so it's not surprising that we too, as human beings, are created complex. And um, I'm saying all of this because Paul says that we need to put off something of the old nature and put on something of the new nature. And one of the examples of that is kindness, and one of the other examples of that is how we deal with anger in our lives. And so, verse 22, put off your old nature and put on the new. And I'd like to look at what that means. Can you notice the, contra the contrast that Paul uh, so illustrates in that portion? He says, the old nature is put off, the new nature is put on. So the old man is put off, the new, new man is put on. One is corrupt. Do you notice that? The old nature is corrupt. Do you notice that the new nature is created? Do you notice that? It's created. It says the corruption of our old nature is, a, is a, alongside deceit and the desires of deceit. And then he says the new nature is created in accordance with God's righteousness, His holiness, and His truth. And I just want to dwell on that a little bit this morning. You do not produce the new nature in yourself. If you could produce the new nature of God in yourself, you would be relying on your own work. And we do not rely on our own work. We do not rely on trying really hard to be good people. No, we, the new nature is produced in us by the Holy Spirit. That's what the Bible says. It says um, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and we were made alive by God's will and by God's grace. And so anything good in you is there as a gift of God. And it's, it's, you are made alive on the inside. There's a spring that begins to flow from the inside that is God's gift to you. All right? And Ephesians 2 says this in chapter 10. We are God's workmanship. You know this portion well. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. That God prepared beforehand that we should walk, work, walk in them. Our new nature is God's creation. It's God's workmanship in our lives. It's a supernatural work of grace. Okay? So if that's true, what is God's task and what is our task? Uh, if our new nature is God's workmanship, His creation, then what is my responsibility as an individual? Well, this portion here gives us the answer. Uh, Ephesians 4.23 We are to put on the new nature. When God creates a new heart in you by the power of His Holy Spirit, He doesn't cancel out your consciousness. What I mean? Well, just because you are born again doesn't mean that God makes all your choices for you. Every day you are faced with a decision when you are to respond to any given situation Am I going to follow the way of the old man or am I going to follow the way of truth, the new man in me? Every day you get this choice. I was driving home from my, I was trying to get to the wedding and um, 
Matt, Jesse was playing rugby yesterday, so he had just finished his game, and I left Watford at 5 to 12, and I had to be here at 1. And I ran off the field at 5 to 12, got in my car with Jesse so I could get home and get changed, and we were driving down this road, and I wasn't going particularly fast. And there were these people crossing the road, so I slowed down, opened my window and waved, said, so, and the lady was so rude to me. She said, you should be driving more slowly. And I was like, I was really hacked off. <laughs> and at that moment, I had to decide, do I respond as the old man or to respond as the new man? Because I knew I was going to preach this. And so I smiled. <laughs> I smiled and waved at her. And I was, I was mad. I was mad, but I thought, I can't show it. You see, that's what it means to put on the new nature, isn't it? In the moment, how do we choose to respond to the conscious choices that we have to make? So being, a, a, being born again, being a new creation in Christ, it doesn't negate your ability to choose. What changes is the thing that makes the choice. The heart changes. The, the source of, of how you choose moral, make moral decisions, uh, that all changes get it. So we, we make decisions from a new heart, from a new man. Not like the old man. Not like we used to, but from the new man that is inside of us. And so basically, the difference is that your character, your nature, your heart is radically affected and changed and that's what causes you to make different decisions. And so Paul says, when Paul says, put on the new man, what he's actually saying, what he's actually meaning is, act out who you really are. Act out in your life. You have been created a new being. Now begin to act out who you are. You are a new creation in Christ. And therefore, you don't behave like that anymore. The new man in with you, act out like the new man that you are. And so the Bible uses pictures like, it says we put on godly garments. I mean, clothes are what people see, isn't it? It's the outside of us. And so when Paul says, clothe yourself in a new nature, that's what he's meaning. He's meaning make your new nature visible to everybody, to your friends, to your family, and how you choose to respond in different situations. Make it obvious. It's like clothes. People can see your clothing. Let them see the new nature of God that's inside of you. All right? And so what I'm really saying is that the Christian life is an ongoing miracle. It's an experience of a miracle in your life. What I'm saying is the heart, the flow of life from the inside of you, the stream of life, the water, whatever you want to call it, is purified because of what God has done inside of you by the power of the Holy Spirit when you are born again. And everything out of that then produces clean water. Isn't it true? That's why Jesus says you can know a tree, tree, tree by its fruit. What is He saying? If the fruit... If the tree is planted in the, the right way, and the, 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 the tree will just produce what it naturally is. If the stream is pure on the inside because the heart has changed, then what flows out of the stream will be pure. Put on the new man. Put off the old. And that's what Paul is trying to say. And so, I'm saying all that because we need to understand that when we talk about anger. Uh, if we don't understand that when, when we, we talk about anger then uh, we're going to make some wrong assumptions about how we deal with anger. And so can I just um, point you to this? Do not sin, verse 26 says. Be angry, but do not sin, and do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. 
And keep in mind all I've said now about the old man and putting on the new man. So what Paul is giving us here is a specific example of how we get rid of bad anger and only have good anger. How many of you only want to have good anger in your life? It's possible to have good anger. We don't want to have bad anger. We want to put that off. We want to hold to what is good. Okay? Even in dealing with anger, we can do that. And so I want to give you two baseline assertions about anger this morning. First of all, verse 26 makes two things clear. One, there's a time to get angry. Two, the time to stay angry is short. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. You can get angry, but don't stay angry. Or I could put it another way. There are good grounds for getting angry, but no ground for holding a grudge. That's what Paul is trying to say. You can get angry, but don't hold a grudge. And if you can't reconcile with someone, don't, don't stroke your wounds. Don't cherish revenge. Don't dream about getting even. <laughs> That's holding a grudge. Don't do that. Why? Because the devil is looking for you to hold grudges with people so he can destroy your life. And he will. Why? Because when we hold a grudge, what grows inside of us? Bitterness. And bitterness never produces anything good. It is not a good tree. It will only produce bad fruits. And so, let's look at these things one at a time. There's a time to get angry. Be angry, but do not sin. I was thinking about this. Not all anger is wrong for us, but some anger is clearly wrong for us. So, we looked at this last week, verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger be put away from you. And I looked at the difference of what that means. Here are some characteristics of good anger. Good anger is based on God. Remember James, our study of James, verse 19 in, verse, in chapter 1. Let every man be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of men does not work the righteousness of God. What I found, and I've said this before, what I found in my life is that when I get angry quickly, it's never good. <laughs> it's the old man. If you fly off the handle... It's never good. It's your old man. Don't say to me that it's because you, you're from Scotland. And Scotch people just have red hair and they always get angry. Don't give me that. That's the old man. Deal with it. Put on the new. Yes? We make excuses like that, don't we? No. God's righteousness never produces that in our lives. So what I'm saying to you is, if we think about stuff, and we know that it offends God, and we, are still, we still feel this sense of anger inside because we know it's sinful and it offends God, then I'm saying that's a different thing from flying off the handle. Do you get it? There is righteous anger. And we looked at that last week in terms of some of the things that Jesus did. So if, if, if our anger is based on God, and secondly, if it's mingled with grief, then I think it's godly anger. What do I mean? Well, uh, if you look at Mark 3, if you want to look... Well, you don't have to look there, but Mark 3 verse 5 tells the story of Jesus in the synagogue. And um, he's, he heals this man who's got a withered hand. And it's a Sunday. It's the Sabbath. It's the Sabbath day. And so the, 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 the Pharisees are really hacked off with Jesus and say, why did you heal this man on the Sunday? You know the story. And it says this. It says, Jesus looked at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. You notice that we don't always emphasize that. He was grieved at the hardness of heart. This is where we fail so often. We get angry when people sin, 
but there's no grief in us at the hardness of people's hearts. Do you hear, you hear what I'm saying? There's, there's an anger and there's a, there's a tenderness that should come with it over the hardness of people's hearts. We, we, we quickly express our indignation for the sin, but we show no longing in our hearts for a softening of that person and for reconciliation. So, so we're happy to get angry, but we, we don't have that softness to say, God, help me to be someone that can show your love to this person so that they can change. You hear what I'm saying? As long as there's hope for change, good anger should only be directed against sin, but also at the same time have grief for the sinner and a compassion for that person. So that's the first thing I want to say. There is good anger. We can be angry. But secondly, I want to say, the time to stay angry is very short. Be angry, but do not sin, and do not let the sun go down on your anger. That, you know what I, what I get out of that? Is that even though anger sometimes can be legitimate, legitimate it's still a dangerous emotion that can be easily nurtured into a grudge. And so that's why Paul says, if you're angry, keep it short. Don't be angry for long. Learn to forgive quickly. Learn to live free quickly. Why? Because that thing can become a root of bitterness in you and can destroy your life. You know, I was thinking of this. Um, when you uh, have a, a critical situation in your life, if you're driving a car and you're facing an accident, what, what pumps in you to help you overcome that? It's adrenaline, isn't it? Adrenaline, it kind of gets your system going very quickly, and uh, then you can respond well, and you can get out of the situation. You know, anger is a bit like that. It's a bit like adrenaline. Have you ever noticed that? It's, it's, it's the equivalent of biological adrenaline. But if you are sustained all the time by adrenaline, it's very dangerous for your body, isn't it? Your heart is affected. I want to say to you in the same way, if you're always angry, always angry, always angry, what's going to happen? Your heart is going to get affected. So, I want to encourage you, don't hold a grudge. Can I give you six reasons why I think you shouldn't hold a grudge? Here they are. One, I'm going to do this quickly. We put ourselves in the place of God. <laughs> When we hold a grudge with someone else, we put ourselves in the place of God. Ever since Genesis, ever since Satan tempted Adam and Eve in the garden, what did he say to them? When you eat the fruit of this tree, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. And every time we hold a grudge against someone, we make ourselves out to be like God. What, what do we do when we hold a grudge? We think highly of ourselves. We think our, um, our opinion is right. We, we exalt ourselves in our own eyes and we feel justified to hold our grudge. Because I'm right. Of course my opinion's right. And so I'll hold on to this thing. And so the, the devil wants to try and get you to feel justified in feeling what you feel. And if he can get you to do that, he's gone a long way already to helping you to put yourself in your own life in the place of God rather than let God be God in your own life. Secondly, if we, can, if we hold grudges, we, we act as if we are the judge. We act as if we are the judge, not God. Romans 12, 19. Do not avenge yourself, beloved. Give peace for anger. For what is written, vengeance is mine, 
says God, and I will repay, says the Lord, and feed your, feed your enemy if he's hungry. I mean, this is radical Christian living, isn't it? So, if we hold grudges with each other, we're acting as if God is not just. Just We're saying, actually, God, you've, you've actually misjudged this, and actually, you don't know what's going on. I do, <laughs> and my, my opinion is right, and so I'm making a judgment on this thing. We, we act like we're the moral guardians of the world, that our view of the world is right, and uh, how we see the world is completely accurate. And if we don't uh, have our little say, this thing is going to go, un, uh, un, God is not going to deal with this. I want to say that sheer unbelief. <laughs> Vengeance is God's. Repayment belongs to Him. It's His business, not ours. And like I said to you last week, sin will be dealt with either when we get saved and God deals radically with sin and it's under the blood of Jesus, or it will be dealt with in eternity. Let us not be the judge of anyone. All right? Thirdly, if we hold grudges, we make the cross of Jesus look foolish and weak. The devil wants you to get to a place in your life that the cross of Jesus in your own life appears foolish and weak. Ephesians 4.32 says this, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, we looked at this last week, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God. You see, the power that frees us from holding grudges against each other is the cross of Christ. It's the gospel. That's the power that frees us. Why? Because God has freed me from everything that I've ever done that's hurt other people. He's freed me from that in the blood of Jesus. And surely, that same power that frees me frees others as I walk my life. Are you with me? It frees other people. The same power that freed me, the same cross that freed me, frees others. And who am I to hold a grudge when God does not hold a grudge against me? Not for anything. God has grounds to hold grudges against us for eternity. <laughs> but He's chosen not to. He's chosen to wipe it away and say, I'm not going to hold that against you. And it's gone as far as the east is from the west. I'll never see that again. What a joy. You know, haven't you heard preachers say, when, God, when the video of your life gets played in eternity, I want to say when the video of your life is going to be played in eternity, there will be nothing on it for people to see. Nothing. Every bad thing, every angry word has been dealt with by the blood of Jesus. Let us not hold grudges against anyone. And fourthly, I want to say this. Another reason why the devil wants you to hold a grudge is to cultivate disunity in the church. He really wants to destroy the church. The devil wants to destroy the church. And uh, if we hold grudges, the sense of what God is building is broken, isn't it? And that's what the devil wants to happen in any church, is to destroy it from the inside. And so Proverbs 15, 18 says this, A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, Someone who can't control his temper stirs up strife, but he who's slow to anger quiets contention. There's a contentedness that comes when we are slow to anger. And so, short tempers breed long grudges and strife 
and disunity. Haven't, haven't you experienced this sometimes uh, in families, extended families, that extended families can hold grudges with each other for decades? And you find out that Auntie Innes did something to Uncle Tom 30 years ago, and the family is still angry with each other. We can't, we can't have that in the church. I've probably said over the years I've led this church, I've given grounds for every one of you to be offended with me for something that I've said. You know what? <laughs> you can choose to hold a grudge or you can forgive me if I've said something that's offended you. Just as I want to forgive you. Are you with me? We cannot hold grudges with each other at all. And so John 17, 23 says that unity in the church is actually evidence to the world that God is real. Did you think about that? Have you ever thought about that? Unity in the church is actually evidence to the world that God is who He says He is. And we, if, if people are fighting in the church and can't get on with each other, what are we saying to the world? That the God that we worship is not real. Come on now. By the power of the Spirit, we can live differently. So, let's be aware of the devil's schemes to get people to preserve and deepen grudges amongst these people because we really want to be those that can show the love of Christ to the world. Amen? And then last, uh, fifthly, the devil wants you to hold a grudge because by you holding grudges, he's able to crush you and he's able to get you to be a depressed person. That's how he does it. He wants, so wants to crush Christians that they become depressed and feel like they are absolutely useless to God and to the world. And so Paul tells us about, um, in, in, in Corinth, remember this, uh, 1, 1 Corinthians 5, there's a man who's caught in sexual sin. Do you remember this story? 2 Corinthians 5, he's restored. And, and Paul says this. It's an amazing thing he says. 2 Corinthians 2 verse 7. You should turn to him, forgive him, comfort him, so that he might be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow, and I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. Isn't that beautiful? Reaffirm your love for this man. He made a mistake. He messed up. He did something that he shouldn't have done. Now, once he's repented, restore him. Restore him. Love him. Show your affection for him. Don't hold a grudge against this man. This is radical living. <laughs> this is only possible by the Holy Spirit. Why? So that we don't... We are not plunged into depression and feel like we are useless to God and to the world. And lastly, Satan wants to you to get a, hold a grudge so he can help you destroy yourself. <laughs> so he can help you destroy yourself. He always promises you the world, doesn't the devil? Hey, he promises you the world, but actually what you end up with is misery. Absolute misery. When unforgiveness starts and we give into it and we cultivate it and we nurture stuff inside of our hearts, it always leads to ugliness. Never, never, never to anything that is good. How many times haven't you experienced this in your life? You, the devil tempts you with this. He says, if you just express this, if you just say what you really feel, you're going to feel better. Get it off your chest. Come on. Get it all off your chest. Be honest with people. Be open. Tell them what you really think. How many of you, when you've told people what you really think, ever feel good about what you've said? The promise is, 
magnificent. You're going to feel better, the devil says, when you just vent and say what you really think. The reality is you feel absolutely miserable and horrible on the inside. Isn't it true? Be slow to anger. Why? Because there's a pure stream on the inside that's flowing out. The new man, help the new man to flow. Put on the new man. Say no to the old and put on the new. What about that fright, frightening story of Jesus when the, um, the unforgiving servant is thrown into jail? Do you remember it? And I'm finishing with this. Remember? He's been, he's, he's been forgiven this great debt and he won't forgive the small little debt that someone else owes him. Jesus says this, My heavenly Father will do to you also if you do not forgive your brother from your heart, he will not forgive you. It's terrifying. <laughs> so, can I encourage us as a church as we move forward? What is the remedy? Well, I want to start, I want to end where I started. The remedy for all of this is a tender heart. The, re the re remedy for all of this not holding grudges is learning to forgive from the heart. Put on the new nature and, and, and forgive from the heart. The truth is this. None of us is so exalted that we can justify holding a grudge because God has been incredibly kind with all of us. The truth is that vengeance, revenge belongs to God, not to us. He doesn't, he doesn't hold accounts against us and we shouldn't hold accounts against anybody else. The truth is that the, the cross of Christ is wisdom and power, not foolishness. And so it needs to be wisdom and power in our lives as we yield to it. The truth of it is that the unity of the church is more precious than anything else on the planet. And the truth is that by holding grudges against each other, it's possible to murder other people and kill yourself at the same time. <laughs> Isn't that true? We murder others, we kill them, we assassinate their character and, and do all this stuff, and at the same time, on the inside of us, we slowly die and we kill ourselves at the same time. And so I want to encourage you this morning that we resist the work of the devil. Jesus said that he came to destroy the work of the devil and the way that we can do that practically in our lives is by showing kindness and being slow to anger. And I know if I was to go around this room this morning, all of us have got opportunities to be angry with others that have, and are justified in feeling that. But let's lay that aside. Let's say, Holy Spirit, I want to live a life that has a pure stream from the inside. Can you help me to do that by the power of the Holy Spirit? Amen? And then we will see power. We will see revival. When we start living like that, we will see revival. It's only possible by God on the inside of us. The pure stream of life that He's created on the inside, let it flow out. Amen. Let's break bread together. Uh, we do that regularly in the church. And I want to encourage you this morning as you break bread, just to reflect on what I've, what I've shared. And when we come to uh, the cross... And when we break bread, we're saying, actually, Jesus, I need this for myself. We're not, we're not looking to, to anyone else. We're saying, God, I need this. I need this power by your Spirit. Won't you come and remind me once again of my own need for your body broken, your blood that washes me clean. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to break bread together. And if you'd like to pray with each other, please do that. And let's trust God for an amazing year of fruitfulness in our lives, yeah? as we learn to live by the power of the Spirit. Father, I want to thank you for the truth of your words. I want to thank you, Lord, that, 
there's a pure stream that is flowing from all of us from the insides because of what you've done on the inside of us. And so I pray, Lord, as we break bread together this morning, that you'd help us to put off the old and to put on the new, that we would be act out who we are, that we are new creations in Christ. And I pray, Lord, that they would be expressed in how we show kindness to each other, how we slow to anger, and how we don't hold grudges against anyone. And I ask, Lord, that you do that supernatural work on the inside of us. And, Lord, that is so hard to do in our natural man. But we thank you we don't have to do that in, uh, because of our natural man. We, 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 we can live like that because you made it possible by the power of Jesus that lives inside of us. And so I pray that our lives will become increasingly kind and that this church will be known to be a place of kindness where people can come and find healing and restoration in the person of Jesus. And that's why we pray this, for the sake of your glory, for the sake of your kingdom, that you might be exalted and glorified in the world and in the nations. And we put our trust in your power at work in us by the, in the name of Jesus. And so as we eat and, eat and drink together this morning, Lord, I pray that you remind us of these things and seal them in our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen.